day, folks. Welcome back to another episode of the Ubuntu Security Podcast. I'm Alex Murray. Apologies for the delay in getting this week's episode out. Uh, There's been a few minor dramas at my end, but uh, yeah, we're out now finally. Uh, It is Sunday here. I hope everyone is having a good weekend. But anyway, let's get into it. So this week, we do bring you the second part of our look at the new security features in the latest Ubuntu release, Ubuntu 22.04 LTS. Uh, But first, we will do the usual roundup of security fixes that have gone into the supported Ubuntu releases in the past week. I actually had some feedback from a listener. Yeah, they missed that in the previous episode. So yeah, we are back doing it all again uh, this week. So let's just get straight into that. So this week, there were 37 unique CVEs that were addressed by the team. Up first, there was an update for DPDK. This is the data plane development kit, and that provides TCP offloading uh, to user space, and that accelerates uh, different package processing workloads. It's used by uh, OpenVSwitch uh, within OpenStack for their software-defined networking. In this case, uh, there was an out-of-bounds write uh, due to a missing check on the queue length in the vhost communications, and that could allow a malicious guest uh, to crash or get code execution on the host. Also, there was a possible denial of service uh, between a malicious vhost user uh, primary and secondary where uh, the primary could spam the secondary with a huge number of open file descriptors, which then eventually leads to the secondary uh, exhausting its file descriptor limit and hence denial of service against it as a result. Uh, OpenSSL was up after that. Four CVEs were rolled into this, and this is for Ubuntu releases 1804 and 2004 long-term support, uh, 2110 and 2204 long-term support, the jammy jellyfish. So uh, Four different CVs here, as I said, uh, all four of them actually affect the latest OpenSSL version in 2204 long-term support, OpenSSL 3, whilst only one affects uh, the older releases. Uh, in this case, uh, you know, obviously then if you are running that, you're exposed to four vulnerabilities whilst the older releases are only one. And I guess uh, that often makes me think it would be interesting to try and do the numbers and compare what your CVE exposure would be over the lifetime of a piece of software. Let's say if you're always running you know, a single old version, stable version, you, know, you don't need new features, so you can stick with that. And odds on, you know, the number of vulnerabilities discovered in that older version decreases over time. Whereas if you're running, say, the latest versions, like, like let's say you're running uh, the uh, interim releases of Ubuntu and you keep upgrading, you're always getting exposed to a newer version of a piece of software. And each time, maybe you've got more vulnerabilities coming in over time for that. You know, do you have more of a vulnerability exposure as a result? Yeah, anyway, yeah, it would be interesting to do the numbers on that sometime. But uh, in this case, uh, one of these vulnerabilities was a memory leak uh, that could occur during certificate decoding. Uh, and that would usually affect something like a TLS server that uses client certificates for authentication. Plus, there was a possible uh, machine in the middle attack against uh, the RC4MD5 uh, cipher. Also, an incorrect return code uh, when validating uh, OCSP messages that could then cause uh, the user or application that was uh, invoking that to believe that obviously it was valid when it was not. Uh, Plus there was possible code execution that could be triggered via the C rehash script uh, through shell meta characters. In this case, though, there's no privilege escalation really available through that. Obviously, whatever you're executing uh, the C rehash script the, that user under, you know, they can then get code execution through that. Um, but you know, C rehash, it's not executed very often. It's used when uh, essentially importing a certificate into the certificate store so that uh, it then calculates hashes uh, of each of the certs so they can then be looked up easily by their hash. So yeah, not something that's uh, very common there, but you know, that has been fixed as well. We also had an update for Network D Dispatcher. I actually talked about this uh, vulnerability back in last week's episode. Uh, two CVEs here that, that were fixed then. Uh, there was uh, a regression in that where uh, essentially the upstream fix contained uh, a missing uh, patch. So we've rolled that in now uh, to fix uh, a minor, I guess, um, issue that could occur in some situations. 
What else? We had an update for Twisted. Uh, again, a single CVE here. I actually talked about this back in uh, episode 156. Uh, this is the equivalent update for our ESM releases, plus uh, the 2204 long-term support uh, release that has just come out. What else? Had an update for SQLite, in this case, a single CVE where it was possible uh, to crash or get code execution in the command line client when uh, using a crafted query. Uh, upstream actually dispute whether this is a vulnerability since you know if you can execute the uh, SQLite CLI, they can probably execute arbitrary commands anyway, but that has been fixed too. Uh, jbig 2 deck has been fixed as well for a couple CVEs in 16.04 Extended Security Maintenance. Uh, this is a package used uh, by GhostScript and MuPDF and others for handling jbig 2 files. Uh, there's an L pointedy reference there, plus a possible heap buffer overflow that have both been fixed. Uh, what else have we got? We've got an update for cron. So four different CVEs were rolled into this. This is just for uh, Ubuntu 18.04 long-term support users. Uh, in this case, denial of service through a very large cron tab file, uh, plus also a cron tab file with uh, you know, really long lines. Both of those could denial of service it. Uh, there was Ubuntu-specific vulnerability that could allow possible privilege escalation from the cron tab group to root but only when the crontab package was upgraded. And this is through uh, the various uh, Debian post-install scripts and the like that you could achieve this uh, through a symlink attack. So in general, you know, it's a vulnerability that is sitting there dormant or latent that can't uh, be triggered until the package is upgraded. And so uh, you either needed, I guess, the sysadmin to manually reinstall the cron package, which would uh, execute that. Or in this case, we released a new update, which we have done now. So we've rolled in the fix for that. Uh, unfortunately though, uh, that did cause a minor regression where uh, some harmless but possibly scary looking error messages would be printed on the upgrade of cron. Uh, that's been fixed with a further update. An update for rsyslog was after that. Uh, a single vulnerability here, potential heat buffer overflow in the TCP syslog reception. So essentially if you had a malicious host that was logging to a centralized uh, syslog server, that could possibly crash it or get code execution on the server, but uh, obviously as only the syslog user, so not you know a high priority one there, but that is been fixed for rsyslog. Dbus was up after that. In this case, a possible use after free when running on a system where you had multiple usernames that are mapped to the same user ID. Uh, in this case, uh, the dbus policy could uh, reference these usernames. When uh, dbus is going to clean up various things, it may free uh, that policy in, in memory uh, through you know, the path from one username whilst it could still be accessed through the other username and then you could possibly get a use after free as a result. Now it's unlikely that you could easily exploit this, but in particular, unlikely that you're running this scenario. Not many systems do have uh, multiple usernames mapping to the same user ID. You know, it is it is used in some places where perhaps, I don't know, you may have shared uh, home directories and that kind of thing, but yeah, not likely to see that one in practice, but that's been fixed as well. Uh, BusyBox was updated for 1604 extended security maintenance customers. I actually talked about that vulnerability back in episode 141. Uh, Cairo was also updated for 1604 Extended Security Maintenance. This is, uh, I guess, the graphics rendering uh, library. Uh, two out-of-bounds reads, a stack buffer overflow, and an infinite loop in the handling of various crafted image or font files was uh, all of those vulnerabilities there. DNS Mask was updated as well uh, for 1404 and 1604 Extended Security Maintenance, 1804, 2004 long-term support, uh, 2204 long-term support, and 2110. In this case, a uh, single vulnerability that was a heap-based buffer uh, use after free uh, that was found by Google's OSS fuzz when handling malicious uh, DHCP v6 requests. What else have we got? We've got an update for libsoundfile. A single CVE there, an out-of-bounds read in the FLAC codec uh, could lead to possible crash or information leak. Uh, an update for NSS as well, where it would mishandle the changed cipher spec messages uh, in TLS 1.3. So a remote client could possibly crash a server by sending uh, multiple of those messages. 
Uh, Firefox was updated to the latest upstream release, version 100.0, and that has the usual mix of uh, you know things that are fixed for web browsers and web rendering engines. So things like cross-site scripting, remote code execution, denial of service, bypassing permission checks, spoofing the UI, all that kind of stuff rolled in uh, to that for Firefox. And finally, we had an update for curl. So this is three different CVEs that were rolled in for Ubuntu releases 18.04 and 20.04 long-term support, 22.04 long-term support, and 21.10. So uh, I do seem to be talking about curl more and more lately. Uh, I actually looked up the stats and it looks about every five to 10 weeks we have an update for curl. And it made me wonder if someone's starting to fuzz curl to find these vulnerabilities. Uh, but actually looking at these ones, it doesn't look like it. Uh, one of them was a logic error on connection reuse handling where it could potentially reuse an old connection after the parameters had been changed. There was a possible infinite loop that could be triggered when uh, constructing a server's TLS search chain, uh, leads to a denial of service and incorrect handling of percent encoded URL separators. So in that case, you could possibly parse the URL wrongly, so then end up potentially visiting the wrong URL than the user expected or potentially bypassing access checks or filters. So yeah, it doesn't look like someone's fuzzing it, but obviously people are really looking into curl for vulnerabilities. And uh, that looks to be because curl is part of HackerOne, the bug bounty program. It looks like they've so far paid out uh, 17,000 US dollars in bounties. So I guess that is a good way uh, to you know get people interested in finding bugs in your software. Uh, and actually, whilst preparing this week's uh, episode, you know, it looks like six more vulnerabilities were announced in curl. So, you know, this isn't uh, just the start of that. It's going to keep going. Uh, there's actually an interesting Twitter thread that I saw from uh, the upstream curl maintainer that I've linked to in the show notes where he talks about uh, the ratio of vulnerabilities that are due to mistakes uh, coming from the C programming language itself versus general programming logic mistakes. Uh, and I guess this is probably in response to people saying, you know, curl is implemented in C, that's an unsafe language, you should probably re-implement it in Rust or, you know, something else. Uh, and this is, I guess, an argument to that because uh, it shows that, as I say, that um, the general you know, logic mistakes, the number of vulnerabilities from that is higher than uh, C mistakes. But obviously, you know, if you didn't have any of those C mistakes, you'd have a lot less vulnerabilities in curl. Um, they also compared how long it takes to find vulnerabilities that are due to you know, C mistakes or due to non-C mistakes. And they found that the, the logic vulnerabilities that were due to you know, non-C mistakes, just general programming uh, issues, uh, took longer to find. And you know, they suppose that's probably likely due to that there's lots of good tools around now for finding uh, C-type vulnerability mistakes. You know, we have things like uh, UbiSAN in uh, Clang or GCC for finding undefined behavior. There's tools like Coverity uh, and the like as well. So uh, you know, even CPP check uh, can often find various things. So yeah, that is really interesting uh, to look at both from, I guess, uh, the sort of market for finding vulnerabilities, but also, you know, sources of vulnerabilities in terms of coding. And, you know, lots of, I guess, Rust evangelists and stuff are always saying, hey, you should re-implement that thing in Rust. And, you know, maybe they should re-implement curl in Rust. But, you know, that comes with its own issues. Uh, we've recently seen, actually, that the latest versions of Clam AV now are requiring Rust uh, for various parts of that. And that then makes uh, things like Clam AV just hard to support on our older releases because we don't necessarily have those latest Rust toolchains that they're using, say, back on, you know, 18.04 long-term support or something like that. So that's going to be another uh, interesting thing when we come to that because we usually do deliver, uh, you know, newer versions of Clam AV as we go forward. So yeah, uh, and that is it though in the week in security updates. So the other thing that I wanted to talk about this week, as I mentioned, was the second part in our look at what's new in security for the latest Ubuntu release, Ubuntu 22.04 long-term support. 
So back in last week's episode, I talked about the various new security features that uh, have come into that release uh, through the latest versions of the kernel that are there. And this week, I thought it'd be good to look at the other half of that, which is the user space security improvements. So as I mentioned actually very briefly just earlier, this release does come with the latest OpenSSL release, OpenSSL 3, and that disables a lot of legacy algorithms by default. Upstream have a migration guide which explains the main changes that have come from 1.1.1, the previous release, as well as how to enable the various legacy providers if you still require access to those older algorithms. You know, maybe you've got servers and things deployed that you now you know, need to interoperate with and your latest uh, OpenSSL 3 you know, won't because it you know, essentially d- disables those algorithms. Uh, similarly, this release does still keep the default security level at level 2, but it does disable uh, DTLS 1.2 uh, protocols and below. So yeah, some good changes there, I guess, for security going forward. But yeah, some things to look out for if you are having to interop with, interoperate with some legacy infrastructure. OpenSSH has been upgraded as well to the latest 8.9 release, and there's actually a lot of changes in that uh, since the 8.2 release that was in 22, um, which was in 2004, long-term support, shall I say. Uh, in particular, this has improved handling of FIDO or U2F hardware tokens. So uh, 2004 long-term support was the first release that we had OpenSSH uh, with, did, which did support FIDO or U2F tokens for as a second uh, factor for remote SSH logins, which is pretty cool, but it was a bit clunky back in those releases. Um, but essentially what you do there is you generate a new OpenSSH key type where uh, the part of the private part of the hub where part of the private key, which is you know, the private public uh, key pair, is only accessible when you have the FIDO or U2F token present. That means you can only use that private key then. You know, If you have access to that private key file on disk, you can't essentially unlock it without the, the token, which is really cool. Uh, so yeah, you can then use that essentially as a second factor to be able to unlock that and therefore log in to a remote server. Uh, this new release uh, does bring improved support for using a pin with that so that you could actually have to type in a pin, not just necessarily say, you know, touch the token as a human uh, presence indicator. Plus it brings uh, better UX so that users don't have to keep uh, getting prompted for their pin each time. So essentially caches that uh, so that you don't have to keep uh, entering that all the time, which is good if you're obviously logging into the same set of servers all the time. Plus, it supports uh, verifying WebAuthn signatures, which is cool to see too. We also updated uh, the firewall backend in this release. So in uh, traditionally, I guess Linux uh, has two components that are used for firewalling. You've obviously got the mechanism or the enforcement that happens in kernel space, plus you have user space tooling to control that and configure the various rules. Uh, traditionally, the kernel uh, supported IP tables, which is uh, known, I guess, more internally as the X tables, and that's things like IP, IP6, ARP, and EB tables internally within the kernel. But uh, that has, I guess, shown its age. So back in the 3.13 kernel, actually, there was the, the new NF tables uh, kernel mechanism introduced, uh, and so that was a, you know, a newer way of doing packet classification and handling, and so therefore, you know, implementing firewalling. Uh, that in, uh, includes uh, you know, support for a lot more flexible ruling and different rule types. And so the kernel then, uh, for a long time, since 3.13, has supported uh, these two different backends, X tables and NF tables. Uh, user space then, you know, the user space IP tables tools has supported both of those for a while. And what we've done in uh, this latest Ubuntu release is we've switched the IP tables command to use the NF tables as the backend. Uh, and there is also a separate uh, NFT command or NF tables uh, user space package as well, just to confuse things where you can configure uh, NF tables within the kernel directly. So uh, by switching IP tables command to use NF tables, you, know, you can still use all your old traditional IP tables rules to configure your firewall, but they're now getting loaded into the kernel's uh, NF tables backend rather than X tables. 
What that does mean then though, is that you need to be careful that uh, I guess all the different tools that are configuring firewall rules do use the same kernel backend. Otherwise you may get rules that conflict say between X tables and NF tables and kind of get weird results uh, as a result. But yeah, something else to look out for there as well. Obviously that then brings, I guess, more improved flexible networking in the future. What else? Uh, so we've updated GCC to GCC 11, and that brings uh, improved static analysis through the dash F analyzer command line argument. So if you are doing software development on Ubuntu and you're wanting to, I guess, make sure that the software you're developing is as secure as possible, you can enable that in your C flags and get, uh, you know, improved much better, I guess, logic for detecting potential vulnerabilities. In particular, this uh, GCC 11 comes with uh, support for trying to detect things like double freeze or use after freeze. Uh, free of a non-heap memory object, so maybe something on the stack, uh, you know, a leak of something that was allocated through malloc, uh, null pointedy references, uh, un and unsafe calls within signal handlers. So yeah, I think that will really improve uh, people's life in trying to develop, you know, software that is more secure. Would be interesting, obviously, to start turning on some more of this uh, when if you are an upstream developer and see if it is catching any latent bugs that you haven't yet picked up before. And finally, uh, one that I thought I'd point out as well, Bash is now, yeah, Bash 5.1, the latest version. And why would I talk about Bash uh, in the security context? Well, it introduces a new uh, variable called srandom. So traditionally in Bash, if you wanted a random number, you could access the random variable. Uh, and that is a pseudo random number that comes internally though from Bash and is very, de or is deterministic based on the original seed value. Uh, instead, they've introduced this new s random variable that you can use, which is derived from the kernel's debut random, and so hence is not reproducible or deterministic, so it's actually a lot more truly random. So that's cool to see as well. If you have bash scripts that are trying to do things that need you know, a more secure random number, you can use s random now in Ubuntu 2204 long-term support. And finally, one other thing is that uh, home directories are now private by default. So if you install Ubuntu 22.04 from scratch and you create a new user, their uh, you know, user, their home directory will not be accessible by other users. Traditionally, we had enabled that because I guess back uh, in the day, it was more common to have uh, lots of people say within the same house or maybe within a university environment or whatever, wanting to share uh, you know, the same machine and therefore be able to share files easily between them. But there are lots of new ways to share files that you can do, <laughs> not just in Linux, but uh, everywhere. And so we've now, uh, I guess from a privacy point of view, thought we'd flip it the other way and make, private, uh, make home directories private by default so they're not able to be read uh, by everyone else on the same machine. So yeah, a good little improvement there for our local user uh, privacy and security. All right, uh, so there, that is it for, I guess, my roundup of what is new in security for Ubuntu 22.04 long-term support. If you have installed it and use it and there's anything else that you've noticed there, uh, it'll be great to hear your feedback on that as well too. But uh, that does bring us to the end of this week's episode. If you want to get in contact with the team, you can email us as usual at securityubuntu.com. We also hang out in the Ubuntu security channel on libera.chat, the IRC network. And we're on Twitter too, at Ubuntu underscore sec as well. So hit us up there too. All right. So thanks everyone for listening again for another week. Apologies again for the delay in getting this week's episode out to you. But we will be back again next week. Until then, remember, keep calm because we've got your back. And I'll speak to you soon. Bye.